And today's sermon is called King's Meat. King's Meat. So we are going to just read through the end of chapter 1, starting at verse 8. It says this, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief of eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has signed your food and drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner, and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of that time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Think about this for just a second. Think about when you go someplace and, and, and you're staying in perhaps a hotel room or you're staying in someone else's house. And, you know, you sleep in your house, lights all off. You get up in the middle of the night because you have to go do something. And it's fairly easy for you to navigate through your own house. Amen? Like you don't usually bump into a whole lot of stuff. You can pretty much get to the bathroom without some sort of uh, kamikaze mission. It's not the same in someone else's house. You don't have the same protection because you don't have that familiarity, right? So you can't just walk through someone. I'm getting up off their couch. I got to go to the bathroom. You smack your knee off everything. It's not exactly the same. This is what we're kind of looking at in a micro scale here this morning. Daniel and his friends are now in a strange land, and they no longer have the protection, the familiarity that they had in their own land. So as Nebuchadnezzar had selected out the best of the captives for his own personal service. So he doesn't go for the worst of guys. He doesn't go for the weakest guys. He goes for the choice guys. And as he selected these men, he placed them in a plan for reprogramming. So they are going to be made, be fit into service for the king. And remember, there are four points of reprogramming that the king is going to have them go through. The first is education. They're going to learn some new things. They're going to learn the literature of the Chaldeans. Next is language. They're also going to learn the language of the Chaldeans. Their diet is going to get changed. 
They're now going to eat what the king eats. And their names are also changed. And isn't it interesting that although we ought to know them as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we know them as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Isn't it interesting, though, that even though we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we never call Daniel Belteshazzar. We always call him Daniel. Isn't that interesting? So these are the names we've come to know them by. These are the names they were given. And this changes their identity. What's interesting is as they're being programmed or reprogrammed for the king's service, of the four points they re- that they accept, they reject only one. Only one. Notice as you read through, they say nothing about the education. They say nothing at all about learning the language. They say nothing at all about accepting a new name, a new identity. In ancient Israel, your identity was everything. As a matter of fact, you wanted to pass some of that along to your children. When you selected a name, that name was important. That name had meaning that you would hope would have meaning that would carry into their lives, as we've seen with the name of this king, Jehoiakim. So the name is very important. They do not reject this. They do not reject new education. They do not reject uh, the new language. What is it they reject? Just the diet. And the question we need to ask this morning is why? Why? Their request to be omitted from this particular step. One thing that's very interesting that I hope everybody picked up on, they do not send a letter to the king and say, O king, we refuse to eat as you have asked us to. They don't go out and and hold a sign up and say, this is the way things are going to be, king. Deal with it. They go to the lowest of the magistrates. And this is an important lesson for all of us. When we have problems in our lives to deal with, we should not expect the federal government to be the first place to hand us things. There is a pattern. Five important governments that God has established. And the first government is ourselves, right? First government, second is our family. We also have church government, then we have local government, then we have federal government. We have this scale of authorities that we appeal to. And we all ought to remember that all of these are on a plane below God, but it's important for us every time we are in trouble to follow the scale, So I'm not going to expect automatically to have everything just handed to me. I need to appeal when I have a problem to the lesser magistrate. That's exactly what Daniel did. I want everyone to notice that in this particular instance, it's not an outright protest. It's a request. Notice he says, Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs, to allow him not to defile himself. Did he cross his arms and say, I ain't eating the king's food? No, that's not what he said. He said, can I not defile myself? He, he asked, and God gave him favor. So why is it then that this particular step in the reprogramming, Daniel refuses to take part in? Well, Point number one, God's word has specific boundaries for his people. Specific boundaries for how you and I, as God's people, are to live our lives here in this place. 
There are specific things that God says, do this, and there are specific things that God says, do not do this. Those are the specific boundaries. Look for just a second at what exactly Daniel says. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So first, Daniel has a conversation within himself. He says, I I am not going to do this. And where does he go? He climbs up the ladder. Therefore, he asks the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave favor. God gave favor to Daniel. He gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So Daniel was, was not concerned with defiling himself through re-education, through a new, new language or a new name. He only seems to be concerned about the food. God has no prohibitions against us learning another language. None. There's no prohibitions against us learning Greek culture, learning Roman culture. There's no prohibitions against us changing our names. None. But the diet, on the other hand, here, here we have an issue. Because God gave specific commands to all of Israel what not to eat and what to eat. There are certain animals that they cannot eat, and if they do eat those animals, they become defiled. Now, I've heard some arguments from people that say, oh, well, you know, that wasn't really what Daniel intended. Uh, There's nothing that says that Daniel couldn't eat the king's food. Yes, that is true. I will be the first one to agree with everyone and say there is nothing in here, nothing in scriptures where tells Daniel specifically, you shall not eat the king's food in another land. That's not the problem. What he was concerned about is defiling himself. The Hebrew word geal, which means pollute. Daniel's concern is that he is going to do something that before God will pollute him, will defile him. So this isn't just a, well, I'm just not going to do this because I don't want to do this. He is not worried about being forced into something he does not want to do. He's worried about polluting himself before God, about being defiled. This word is used in several other times in several other ways. It's used nine times throughout your Old Testament. A couple examples of that, Isaiah 59.3, For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. Isaiah 63.3, So I've trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. This is what Daniel is concerned about, about having a stain before God. Malachi 1.7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. What do we take away from this? We need to take the word of God seriously. And we must act on faith. So understand, there's no guarantee at all of what Daniel is going to have for repercussions from this. None. It may be death. Uh, Understand that the chief of the eunuchs What was he concerned about? His head. And he should have been. Because if he's not carrying out the king's orders, he is in some serious trouble. If this is found out, he's in trouble. This is why when the appeal comes and Daniel says, 10 days. 10 days. If we look sick, then then we can change things. He says, all right, we'll test you for 10 days. 
Acting on God's word always, always must be done in faith. Always. And why is that? Well, it's because we have no guarantees of outcome. God does have certain promises within his word. He has certain promises to those who do what? Who obey his word. We have to remember something very specific here. We have to remember that success never comes without sacrifice. Success never comes without sacrifice. One of the best passages I could point everybody to talking about how to live a successful life. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Joshua 1, 1 through 9. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward Lebanon, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good, what? Success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you will have good, what? Success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We have to remember something very important. Success never comes without sacrifice. The fact that God tells Joshua to be strong, to be courageous, and not be afraid should tell us something. That going into this land, there will be a reason to be strong, a reason to be courageous, and probably a reason to be fearful. We know the reports that they received when they went in the first time. There are things that they should be afraid of. God says, be strong, be courageous. Not be afraid. The promise is not that the way will be easy, but that it will lead to success. And the problem that I think most of us have with this is we live in a culture where we want everything yesterday. So we go in line at McDonald's. Think about it for just a minute. We want what we ordered, and we want it five seconds ago. You should see the looks on some of the faces. Perhaps some of us have those looks when they say, would you pull into spot number three until we bring your stuff out to you? Oh, what? I want it now. When we order stuff offline, we intentionally go to the, the place that will have it here tomorrow. Because I want that thing tomorrow. It may be something I don't even really need all that much. But it doesn't matter. I spend money on it. I want it here tomorrow. An increasing number of people believe that they should have a completely and totally successful life tomorrow. 
I see so many young people that have brand new lifted pickup trucks. It's great for them, but think about that for just a second. How many people here drove a bomb for your first vehicle? Yeah, most of us. It wasn't this big $70,000 truck. But our culture has so spoiled us and so pampered us that we want drive-through success. We want to have it, and we want to have it now. And most people know if they've ever tried to do anything difficult at all, that the road is not easy to becoming successful. So we have that weighing against us. We want success. We want no struggle. We want to make the high dollars, but we don't want to have to fight to get there. We want success, but we don't want the pain. Everybody wants to look like Lou Ferrigno. No one wants to lift the weights. No one wants to pull a muscle. It's the society that we live in today. But there's no scriptural promise for this at all. None. It just, it just doesn't exist in the Bible. So we have to think for just a minute as we're looking through this story of Daniel. What is success going to look like here? Is it going to look like the head being taken off of the chief eunuch? Daniel has no guarantee of what will happen in taking this step of faith by obeying God's word. There's no guarantee at all. He and his friends may end up dead. The king may say, now you can have no vegetables, no water, and you can also not eat my meat. You cannot drink my wine. You cannot eat the food from the king's table. There's no guarantee of success. But there is a guarantee for those that will walk by faith, those that will be obedient to God's word, and those that will walk not knowing what's around the corner. God will be with those that walk by faith. He'll be with us. God will be with you. We are being asked to capitulate and to agree with some things that we don't agree with, some things that God's word says are wrong, and we're being asked to justify uh, these, or excuse me, to glorify these things and to be happy about these things. And it's very, very difficult. I've always said it, and, and I stand by it. Conviction is never convenient. It's never easy to do the right thing. It's never easy to, to do what you feel in your heart is the right thing to do. It's not easy when you're in the break room and there's some coarse joking happening and you really know you should walk away from it. It's not easy to do that, but that's nevertheless what we're called to do. We're not supposed to be part of that. And we have the promise that when we stand up and when we take God at his word and when we step out on faith, he'll be with us. Look what it says one more time in, in Daniel 1, verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. See God's hand at work. Daniel takes a step of faith, and what happens? God responds. God responds. God is there with Daniel. Look at this next section. Verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. They take this step to do what God requires of them and to hold back and not to eat 
what the king has set before them. And what happens? They take a step of faith. And what does God do? God responds. God responds. God is with them. There are two words that change everything in this passage. Two words that change absolutely everything. Every single passage you read where there is trouble, where there is struggle, where there is pain, two words change everything. Those words are, say it with me, and God. Changes everything. Therefore, he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor. We have no guarantee when we step out in faith and do what God has called us to do, what the people around us are going to do to us. None. You may stand up and you may say, I'm going to leave this conversation. I can't be part of this. There's no guarantee what's going to happen to you next, but there is a guarantee that God will be with you in that decision. God blesses those who step out in faith. Who knows the next time you and I act on the word of God, who knows the next time we seriously consider a scriptural passage, what we are to do or what we are not to do, and we apply ourselves to that thing. Who knows that the next words, the next two words that will change everything is what God will do next. And God. And God. This is the strength of our faith. Say, what do you, what do you mean by the, the strength of our faith? What are, you, what are you talking about here? It's the fact that we serve the one true God who intervenes in the course of normal human affairs for his great purposes. So yes, some of the things that we may be facing right now may seem trivial. You may have a vehicle that you just cannot keep going. Man, what is going on here? Yes. Yes. God even cares about the little minute details in our lives. It's not just the time when we're in the lion's den. The strength of our faith is in the fact that if we take this step and obey God's word to point exactly what he says, when he says, how he says, the strength of our faith is that he will be with us. The one true God who created everything, every molecule in this building exists because God wants it to. Every molecule in this building is holding itself together. Why? Because Christ is at work to hold all things together. All things hold together through him. It's the strength of our faith. And we all know this to be true. You know, one of the great devastations to a new believer is when we tell them things like, well, I, I just couldn't get my finances in order. I became a Christian, and, well, you know, I have money to pay the bills. As, as nice of an idea as that is, then the person says, oh, well, hey, I'd like to have my bills paid. I think I'll be a Christian. They do the magical prayer. So now I'm a Christian. Now I identify with the 70% of America. I'm no longer in the minority there. And look, I still can't pay my bills. What happened? Did I mess up? Did I not believe hard enough? Did I not believe right enough? Did I not put my faith in God in the way prescribed? Which book of the Bible should I turn to where my finances are now magically in order? It doesn't happen. Some say, well, God healed me of, of this sickness. 
So I'm really sick, I'm really weak, I, I really need that. So they, they pray. I want to be a Christian. And as desperate as they want to, the sickness is still there. Things may get hard, and there may be a lot of changes ahead, but God is still in control, and he will still not forsake us. I think one of the broken portions of our Christian faith is when we tell people all the good stuff, and we don't tell them any of the hard stuff. Like, I'm a Christian now, and I know God is with me, so that's making it easier, but I'm still sick. Or I'm still suffering from, fast, from my past finances. Like I can't get in order. Just two examples. Things may get hard. They may get harder as being a Christian. Whoever tells you things get easy, that person's a liar. Things do not get easy. But God is still in control, and he still will not forsake us. That's the promise he gives, that he will be with us, and he honors faith. When you and I are faithful and we do what God calls us to do and we step out and we're willing to take whatever comes, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks of me, says of me, it doesn't matter what they do to me, I'm still going to do this. Why? Because God told me this is the best way to live my life. He honors faith. He honors when we will put our necks out there and trust him. And because of that fact, because of the very fact that God does honor faith, because God will not forsake us, because he is there, because of that you and I have to learn something. What is that? You and I have to learn faithfulness through the fear. That even though things may get hard, things may get tough, there may be people around us that are begging us for answers, we may have really slipped up, become prodigal, and the pig's food looks really, really good. Although we may find ourselves in a place of our own choosing, although God may have turned us over to a place that we do not think is great, he's still with us. And even in that place, we can turn. We can return to the Father. We can repent. And we can, by faith, do what he's called us to do. Not so that he will save us, but because... He has saved us.